I was listening to an apologist last night for about an hour and a half. I don't know if you guys ever sit around YouTube and watch apologists, but it was a, a debate. You, okay. So, um, you guys don't like watch like DNA videos? Okay. Oh, anyways, I'm, yep. So, there's our level where we experience things, and we can say the phrase, that's not how it's supposed to be, correct? We all agree to that? Okay, so we experience things and we say that's not how it's supposed to be. So sometimes we agree there's a realm up here where that is how it's supposed to be. Um, there are times I experience some marriage. There are times my wife might say, like, what are you doing? And here I am, but I'm supposed to be up here where I'm supposed to be. Um, what are you doing? That's not how you make coffee. I don't, I don't drink coffee. But I'm going, I'm trying, I'm trying to make coffee for the family. But the family sees it as, you just wasted coffee. Um, so there's this realm. We experience it in different ways. We might experience it like um, the other night at a football game. I saw a child yell at his mama. Um, and in my day, my mom slapped my face. Um, it only took, guess how many slaps it took? One. Yeah, I was on the phone and she was expecting a call because, because young folks, a long time ago, phones were attached to a wall, and you had to stay at one place. And sometimes the line would go, which means somebody's trying to call, and if you were fortunate enough to have call waiting, you could push the hang-up button and go to the call that's coming in. My mom was expecting a call, I was talking to a girl, and at one point she asked me, she asked me I think two times, like, hey, I'm expecting a phone call. When you hear the line, make sure you answer it, because I need that phone call. And finally, the second time, I think it maybe the third time, she said something. I said, shut up. Yeah. Yeah. The details after that, like the next 10 minutes was kind of fuzzy. I don't remember exactly what happened. But I do remember hurting. And I remember the phone over here somewhere. And I remember her saying, like, he'll call you back. And I watched a, a, um, a mom um, have to have um, her son buried. And I kept thinking, that's not right. Like, that's not how it's supposed to be. So all of us, we have this innate part of us that goes, there's a way things are supposed to be. And yet we experience, sometimes we experience that. Some people call it heaven on earth. Sometimes when you experience these God things, we have this divine realm intercept and meet us at this realm. And then we go on sometimes and we don't have that intercept or we don't have that experience. And sometimes we say, like, oh, that was a God moment. Or, oh, I don't, I don't know, like, there's times I experience kids sometimes at camps or conferences, and they'll say, I don't want to go back home. You know, we used to take, like, 30 kids to Mexico and build houses for the poor, and they leave going, I don't want to go back home. And it's like, okay, they experience something, I would call it divine or godly, they experience something that is how it's supposed to be, and, but we go back to where it's not supposed to be this way. Um, we see this in the very beginning of time. In the Garden of Eden, there's, uh, oh, uh, actually, I think I have it up here. Can you go to, can you go to the first slide? I found this website. This website is called BrickTestament.com. It has all the Bible stories in Lego format. How incredible is that? You know how great this goes? Like, when I, when I, like this past summer, I spoke at a camp. I'm not even sure where it's at. It's like, go to Bedford and just keep going east, and it's in the country. Wonder God is what it's called. I, I spoke at their camp for the whole week, and I used this. And you wouldn't believe how many kids were, like, totally paying attention when I threw Legos up. All the guys were like, all right, we're, we're, like, we're with him. And the girls were like, oh, seriously? Like, like that? And so, but you, and you have to be careful on the website sometimes. Things are rated for N for nudity or V for violence. Um, the Garden of Eden has a little bit of both. Um, there's a snake. You can see the snake in the garden. 
And it's very, it's very, uh, it's, it's really weird. But it goes from Genesis to Revelation. Not every story, but the big ones are in there. David and Goliath. It's really Job. It's really, it's really cool. Some of it's kind of gross. Like Job's sores are really gross. Um, but it's really cool. But there's this, um, I, I think in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says God has set eternity in our hearts. I believe that's part of the how we know things are supposed to be the way they're supposed to be. I think sometimes we, we experience something and go, yes, that is right. This is good. This moment is how it's supposed to be. I think that's part of the Ecclesiastes chapter 3 where he set eternity into our hearts. So we have this longing for life. None of us long for a death. We long for life. We try to prolong life. We try to, we try to heal life. The things we're doing genetics right now are very controversial and very cool. Uh, my, cla- my class and I, we, we talk about this with cloning. You know, you can take, you can take cells. There's a scientist who takes cells from a feather from a chicken. And in his lab, he's grown those cells into meat. And now he takes the meat home and he cuts it up and grills it. And so his pet chicken, his name's Ian, they're taking the exact same meat from Ian and grilling it and eating it. So they're eating Ian without killing Ian. We're growing human ears on mice. I mean, just some really cool stuff. That's, that's also gross. But it's, it's really, and you're, you're, the question becomes, is that how it's supposed to be? There's this sense of let's try to prolong life, try to save life, keep life going. Um, but in Genesis 3, we have where things are the way they're supposed to be. And at one point, it even says they're walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God and Adam and Eve are walking in the garden. And then God um, is telling Adam and Eve, there's all these trees you can eat from, but you can't eat from one. Now, if you tell a bunch of high schoolers or little kids, if you, I was at camp one time, and we had to tell the kids, you may not do a backflip off the diving board. What, what did you just do to all of these kids? All of them were going, I bet I can. <laughs> so it's one of those like, as a teacher, you will not study for your test. <laughs> and I'm hoping they go, oh, I bet we will. <laughs> or they're going, all right. <laughs> teacher said not to, so we won't. So in this garden, he goes on, and the snake comes out of nowhere. And the snake's talking, and Eve says, we've been eating the trees in the garden, but the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, don't eat from it. Don't even touch it. So you got Adam going, oh, oh, is that a, is that a challenge? Did you go to the next slide? The story keeps going. Surely you're not going to die, said the snake. For God knows that the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like, God's knowing good and evil. Can you go to the next one? Here they are. Eve staring at the apple. Oh, that looks good. <laughs> That's her. She broke it eventually. She takes a bite of the apple. Some say it wasn't an apple, it was a kumquat. I'm not sure. It sounds pretty cool. It doesn't matter. I used to tell my daughter, who's now 18, I used to tell her, this is why we don't have blue apples anymore. Because Adam and Eve screwed it up. They ate the blue apple. We don't have blue apples anymore. We have red and green and other weird ones. We even have grapeples now. Because they've genetically crossed a grape or an apple. And they sell them at Kroger sometimes. They're called grapeples. Uh, because that's what you do when you're a scientist. Actually, there's a scientist right now who's actually taking bioluminescence from fireflies and trying to combine them with dogs because he wants to create a glow-in-the-dark dog. <laughs> we have glow-in-the-dark cats already because cats are producing a certain amount of insulin, which is great that glow-in-the-dark cats produce a, a great amount of insulin, which humans can use. But when asked, why are you doing this with dogs? He said, because then nobody will know it's not, it's not, it's, nobody will know it's natural. It has to have been made by somebody, and that somebody is me. 
And they asked, how do you do this? He said, in my, in my shed in Mississippi and using YouTube and stuff I buy on Amazon. So you can do anything you put your mind to it. So their eyes are open. They start to cover themselves. This is pretty cool. Can you keep going? And then there's God. God shows up. First game of hide and seek we've ever seen. And God says, where are you? And then Adam says, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. Now they didn't know this beforehand. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from that tree? Did you do what I said not to do? And then what does he do? The woman! <laughs> she messed it up. And I ate from it. And then God turns to the woman and asks the woman, what did you do? And Eve says, it was a snake. <laughs> so right away, how many of you have experienced when somebody messes up, we, uh, psychologists call it reflection or deflection, we will say, it wasn't me, it was, we blame anything else but ourselves. We do this. We have a hard time. I do. There are times I have flat out lied to my family. I didn't eat those cookies. I will flat out, and I hate it, but I'm owning up to it. I'm a very sinful person. But I will say to my children, I don't know what happened to the last batch of cookies. There's four of you. Y'all go talk it out. <laughs> now, I, 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 I feel bad, but I'm also like, I bought them. They're mine, ultimately. I feel like a god in my house. I can do what I want. You're just my children. But then there's times I also will take, like, um, Reese's peanut butter cups, and I'll put them in the broccoli bag and freeze them. Because the kids aren't going to go for the broccoli. And then I'll take like the Captain Crunch berries, and I'll put them in, in the, um, the not frosted flakes, but the regular flake cereal, because they don't want that. They, want, they don't want Cheerios. So I put all of my cereal in the Cheerio box, or in the Raisin Bran box, because they don't want that stuff. But then when they're like, where'd you get that? Like, I think it was the last, the last, I think it was the last bowl, guys. I'm sorry. So God says, because you've done this, you are now cursed. And he talks to the snake. On your belly, you will go. You're going to eat dirt all the days of your life. I'll put hostility between you and the woman, her offspring and yours. I will greatly, to Eve, poor Eve, I will greatly increase your suffering during childbirth. You know, one of the worst mistakes I ever made was when my wife and I were pregnant. And she was pregnant. I, I was there cheering her on. And um, we were in the hospital. And it was our first child. So you're, you're trying to do everything by the book. You're like, all right, like, here's the week where you're supposed to experience this. And, of course, she's like, would you be quiet? I can experience it. And then so, like, we're in the hospital. She's laying in the bed. We're, we're getting ready for a C-section. Or we're ready for the C-section yet. Not yet. She's laying in the bed. And I'm watching the monitor. And the monitor tells me when a contraction is, is happening. And so I'm like, here it comes. Here it comes. You're having a contraction. And she's like, I know. Like, get out of the room. So I, I had to leave, um, and her mom sat with her for a while. It was really good. Her mom cheered her on. Um, but that's, that's how it is sometimes. So she goes, I'm going to greatly increase your anger and your, your pain and childbirth. In anguish, you will bring forth children. Your desire will be for your husband. He will dominate you. Cursed is the ground because of you. It will yield thorns and thistles. In pain, toil, will you eat from all the days of your life until you return to the ground from which you were taken. For you are dirt. Dirt, you'll return. So God uh, covers them. He closed them. This is the idea of atonement. Something had to die in order to cover. So this is where we get atonement, which is great in the book of Leviticus. And so, of course, Adam hasn't shaved here. Eve is crying. Can you, and this, again, V for violence. And then God says, this man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must be prevented from reaching out his hand and taking the tree of life, lest he eat from it and live forever. 
Can you keep going? And then they're kicked out of the garden. And it says there's cherubim with a flaming sword that keeps them from entering it back in. Some even believe if you go to this place today, we should see this, but I, I, don't, I don't know. I said, I'm, I'm, not, I'm in Indiana. I'm not going to go there. So they're, now, they're, now they're cursed. They're going east according to the Bible. And I think maybe one more. That's it. Okay, good. So now they're out of the garden. So they, these are the only two who experienced what things are supposed to be like. This is how it's supposed to be. We see this all over. And so in the Bible, you've got these, how are you supposed to be the way God wants you to be? So he gives them these teachings. And he says there's 613 teachings, commands, if you will, of how you are supposed to be right with God. Now, I have three rules in my classroom, and my students can't even follow those. So 613, we're, we're not, we're not going to do too well in this, okay? 613 commands. This is how you stay close to God. This is how you stay right with God. You follow these commands and you are good to go. And we see this in the New Testament with Jesus and his, and his um, teachings with the community, with the disciples, and the people who come to him and say, good teacher, what must I do? But here you've got these standards from God that are so high, nobody can meet these. Nobody can meet these standards. So the question now becomes, does anybody, any, does anybody here know somebody who you would say, that, that's, John's a good guy. Does anybody have any good people in our life? Okay? That's, we need that. No, one of you? Okay. <laughs> ah, they used to be. Okay? Um, it's important for us to have surround ourselves. You are, I tell my people, my kids all the time, you are who you hang with. You'll become who you hang out with. The Bible tells us there's nobody who's good. Now that makes me kind of sad. I consider myself a good guy sometimes. I'm a follower, I'm not a leader. But I consider myself, I consider myself, you remember, dads, do you remember being a dad, and you're walking down the hallway, and your kid grabs your leg, and they're, they're laying on the ground, or if it's just me, maybe it's just me, but like I step, and it's like, and then step, and the kids are like, yeah, and you're dragging them on, that's how I feel in my relationship with Christ. I feel like I'm a little kid just holding on, going, please just don't let go, please don't forget me, please don't keep walking on and forget me, like I'm just, I'm holding on to your life, going, please don't forget me. And so there are times my children will grab onto me. My little Ruby, who's now fifth grade, she'll grab on, and I'm just like, and destroy. And that's how I feel as a Christian sometimes. I'm just holding on, trying to do the best I can. And there are times I have to remind myself, you are not good. No one. The Bible tells us no one is good. Romans tells us this. A bunch of things from Psalm tells us nobody is good. Jesus tells us nobody is good. Even Jesus says to the man who says, good teacher, and Jesus says, why do you call me good? Which raises a lot of questions. And he says, only God is good. So that is, it's just one of these confusing things. So the question becomes, can we keep the Ten Commandments? Oh, that's pretty good. Even, yeah, First John. First John tells us that nobody, nobody, and everybody breaks the sin, and nobody can keep the law. And if you break one part of the law, you break all of it. So if you look at the Ten I think I have, do I have the Ten Commandments up there? I do. Can you guys read that? Okay, okay, okay. Now our Ten Commandments are a little bit different than the Jewish Ten Commandments. Let's go with them. Okay? So on our Ten Commandments, hopefully nobody here is struggling with um, murder. If you are, okay. Um, <laughs> so idols. Now idols were physical things. Now sometimes we'll say things like money is an idol, wealth, power, prestige. I think it was a bit adapted into the idea. But an idol was something that was physical. You could see it and touch it. And so even Paul will talk about this 
when he's visiting um, some, some cities and he's talking with his, with his followers who might be off issue in Jesus, some might not. We're not very good at remembering the Sabbath day. Taking God's name in vain, well, that's a big one. We're really good at not following that one very well. Honoring our parents, the word honor here means to, which one carries more weight. So the idea of honoring your father and your mother is um, it's the word kavod in Hebrew. It means, it means to carry weight. So if my wife tells me something and um, a lady at school tells me something, one of these people carry more weight. Um, if, if, you're, if you're a kid and your parents tell you this is how we live and your friends say, no, this is how we live, one of these, in the teenage years, this really becomes a problem. But one of these carries more weight. And so this is what honoring your parents is talking about. And this gets into problems in the New Testament with Jesus. Um, don't covet. Oh, that's a tough one. That's a hard one. We, we drive down the street. We're like, look at that Corvette coming at me. I don't want that. You shall not bear false witness. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. These are all the Ten Commandments. Now, even out of, 10, out of 613, we boil down to 10. These 10 are a summary of the 613. And even these we struggle with. Taking God's name in vain is a really big one right now. Really big. The idea of it is, um, I can equate it to when you play high school sports, I had a sports jacket, it had a name, my name on the back of it, and so if I went out in public, um, this was really embarrassing one time, I, um, the Dallas Cowboys won a Super Bowl in the 1990s, and I skipped school, and I went down to the parade, my friend and I went down to the parade, and um, my parents didn't know, I didn't ask them, that's why I skipped school. And so I go down to the parade, and I'm wearing my school jacket, and it has Moffat on the back. And in the morning, guess who's on the front cover of the newspaper? Yeah, there's no hiding it. There's no hiding it. It's got this big logo here. And my parents are like, is this you? Because my friend who was with me, his mom saw it. This is back in the newspaper where I read. Kids, newspapers were like Google on print. And printed Google. That's what newspapers were. And so the idea was I'm carrying a name with me all times. So if I do something stupid, it's my dad's name, it's my family name. So when I do something dumb, it reflects to my dad. When my kids do something dumb, it reflects on me. Maybe you're like, oh, your kids, your kids did that. Yeah, but that's, that's my name. And so the idea here is you shall not take the Lord your guy's name in vain, is we carry this name. So how we behave tells people about who this God is. Which is why we have so many people who are like, Christians, you guys just, all you do different than I do is get up on a Sunday morning. It's all you do different. You get up on a Sunday morning, you get up early, you might have some donuts and coffee, but other than that, that's all you do differently. Um, because we don't even do a good job at all of this. Can you go to the next one? Um, everybody who sins breaks this law. Everybody, everybody, everybody. Can you go to the next one? And then here, here we go. If you show favoritism, you sin. You're convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it. So this is the whole point is we can't do this. We can't keep this. That's the whole point. We're not good enough. We're, we're, we're never going to be good enough. So we just mess up over and over and over. And pretty soon sin becomes a gigantic deal in life. Sin is a big deal. A huge deal. When you look at this, you see this, there's this, in the scriptures, there's this gigantic circle of sin. And it starts off with, um, it's such a big problem that when, um, 
it's in, in Hebrew, it's called Hamart, or Greek, it's called Hamartia. It means if I was to um, if I was to throw this remote, I don't know what this remote goes to, but if I was to throw this remote at Molly, does anybody believe I can hit her in the head? All right. <laughs> I'm sure I have a lawsuit in there somewhere. If if I hit her in the head, bullseye. If I miss. Greek calls it hamartia. It, it means I missed. So the idea is, if I miss, if I miss her face by an inch, how many of you would say that's a pretty good shot? If I miss it by a foot, is it still a pretty good shot? If this goes backwards, is it still a pretty good shot? Okay, the point in scripture is, if I miss her face, if I miss the bullseye by an inch, a centimeter, a mile, backwards, a miss is a miss. It's not how close you get. A miss is a miss. But we tend to do things like, that's, that's sin. Sin is, the word sin means you miss. There's a target and you miss. But what us Western Americans especially, what we do is go, well, you didn't miss that bad. You just missed a little. So it's not like horrible. And we'll do things like, well, you lied, but it was for a good cause. Your kids really don't need to have cookies. It's bad for them. So you ate them to help them stay healthy. That's a pretty good lie. Um, there, there are times where we will say things like, well, I didn't murder anybody. I just smacked them in the face. So, like, if you were to equate these two, one is way worse. But in the, in, the, in the Bible, it's, no, 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 there's no one worse than the other. It is, you either sin or you don't, period. It's, it's kind of like pregnancy. You don't say, I'm kind of pregnant. No, you are or you're not. I've never been there, but I've, I've seen the effects four times. And I, you cheer and you say, you're doing great. Um, and, it's, you know, it's midnight, but you want pickles and crackers and mayonnaise. All right, where do I get this from? Um, can you drive 20 minutes to Walmart? <sighs> yeah, sure can. Because I love you and you're giving us a kid. When, when, you, when you sin, you sin. You, there, again, there's no little bit of difference. It's not that bad. It's, it's, just a, you know, it's, just, it's just a little white line. We even made terms up. We, 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 don't, we don't do this. It's you did or you didn't, period. That's it. So you, you have this huge deal of sin, and we can't undo it. So this gigantic rock is thrown into a lake from Adam and Eve of, of this one sin they missed. That's the whole point. It's not about what apple it was or a kumquat or a fruit or clothes. Or, it wasn't any of that. It's, they missed. They were told, don't do this. We did it. We all do it all the time. All the time we still do it. So there's this circle of sin. I wrote it down here. Ready? Here's the circle. In Exodus, God's people are slaves in Egypt. In chapter 1, they're slaves. Chapter 2, they begin to cry out and pray, and God hears them. Chapter 3, God is heard, so he sends Moses. Moses isn't really excited about it, but Moses goes. He saves the people. They cross the sea. In Exodus chapter 14, the people are putting their trust in God. In chapter 19, God says to the people, we're going to have a marriage. There's a beautiful marriage ceremony. If you read it, you'll see it. If you listen to me, God says, and if you keep my covenant, then you'll be mine, and you'll be a kingdom of priests. Period. But over and over, the people forget. Over and over, they forget. Now, here's the importance. 
Can you? I think I took a picture of it. Please. Keep going next one. Oh, oh you can't say it very good. I took a picture of my Bible. And so I have, I have, I have an English Hebrew Bible. But you'll notice what's really weird here is their first commandment. This is their first commandment. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. That's the first commandment. But when you ask, if you ask any Jewish person, that's the first command. But we've combined it with number two. We take our number one, is their one and two. Have no other gods before me. That's their number two. But they'll ask you, if you ask my Jewish friends, they'll tell you, it says, I am your God. If you don't believe that, then nothing else matters. So stop reading. The point is, I am your God. I brought you out of slavery. If you forget that, if you forget where you're from, is a very dangerous step in life. So when you look at this, they start off as slaves. They wake their way out. God says, if you listen to me, you'll be mine. You'll be a kingdom of priests. Um, when, when we tell somebody to remember, it's very important, correct? You don't just tell them to remember because you're just bored. For example, if you look at my phone, I am almost 40... I'm 40... Oh, boy. Hold on. I think I'm 45. Anyways. Man, it's going to bother me. So this is my phone. These are all my alarms I have every single day. It starts at 6.15. It says, time to get up. 6.30, you need to get up. 7.05, get ready to leave school. Um, Isaac, take your medicine. Um, Toby Matt, concert tickets on sale. Um, tutoring for my kids. Textbook phone call. 3 o'clock. Uh, 4, 6, 38, 9, 9, 19, 9, 30, book report did. So like every day I've got all these alarms that go off. Why? Because I can't remember. That's why. Are any of you guys post-it note people? You write notes to yourself. And then it's, where'd that note go? Where'd that note go? We tell people to remember so we don't forget where we're from. We tell people to remember because something important. You don't just say it just because. If you don't, sometimes the dangerous thing is you can become the very thing you're trying not to because you forgot. Okay, so in, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, 300 years later, David conquers this group of people called the Jebusites. He wins this city called Jerusalem. He takes Jerusalem, he establishes it, he becomes king. Things are going good. In 1 Kings chapter 2, David is about to die. So he takes his son Solomon and he charges him. Here's what I want you to do in life. Oh, it's up there. Okay, that's good. I'm, just, I'm summarizing. He, he gives them this charge. You are going to become king. Be careful you stay close to God. And, and, and Solomon, in, in 1 Kings chapter 3, God says to Solomon, hey, whatever you want, I will give you. And Solomon doesn't ask for money. He doesn't ask for a thousand more wishes. He says, I want wisdom, which is funny because he wasn't super wise sometimes. But he asks for wisdom. And God says, because you didn't ask for all this stuff, I'm going to give you wisdom. Then, all of a sudden, in 1 Kings chapter 9, we have this downfall. I'm going to read it for you right here. Okay? This is 1 Kings 9. Solomon's king, and here's the very beginning. Here is the account of the forced labor King Solomon conscripted to build God's temple. And his own palace, the terraces, the wall of Jerusalem, Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer. Now, did you catch the very first sentence? Here is the account of the forced labor of King Solomon. What do you call people who are under forced labor? Slaves. The people who started off as slaves 
find God, call out to God, cry out to God, God answers, He rescues them, He tells them, you are my people if you will listen to me and follow my decrees. And then He says, remember, you were slaves in Egypt. And over and over through the Scripture is the story of these people. They forget God sends prophets. And over 219 times the prophets say, remember. And they forget. At some points in the, in the book of Kings, you'll see these kings did what was right in their own eyes. Is that a good idea? That's today. People do what they want to do in their own eyes. Don't tell me what I'm doing is wrong. What I think is right and what you think is right, they're both right. But what if we disagree? Now who's right? This is a problem we have. So over and over, you have this story of these people, 430 years, slaves in Egypt, 430 years, slaves in Egypt, and then comes a deliverer. And here's the really cool thing. They forgot. Solomon led them astray because he was chasing after women. He was chasing after money and stuff and storehouses. This is why I'm very big on not having a shed full of stuff. And so all of a sudden, the prophet said, remember, come back to God. Remember, come back to God. And then all of a sudden, they say no, and off to Babylon they go. They're in Babylon captivity. 430 years. So here you go. They're slaves in Egypt for 430 years. A rescuer shows up named Moses. They're in Babylon. Through some time, there are kings that let some of them go. But by the time it's over, from the Babylonian captivity all the way through the Roman occupation, 430 years, which is really cool, because somebody else shows up at this point. It's a Jewish rabbi named Jesus who comes along and says, look, I have a different kind of kingdom. I have a different kind of way. Things are going to not be the way you knew them, like on stone tablets. Things are going to be different. Things are going to change. And so all of a sudden, Jesus shows up, and he starts telling these people, the kingdom of God is now here. And this kingdom looks different. This kingdom is going to be like people who are told to go one mile, but you go two miles. This kingdom is going to look like people who want to be first are now going to be last. This kingdom is going to have people who want to be lifted high, so they're going to stay humble and low. This kingdom is going to say, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who hunger and long for things that are right and true. Which is fascinating, because the queen of Sheba came to Solomon and said, God puts you here for one reason, to maintain what is right and what is true. Justice and righteousness. And now Jesus is saying the same things. A lot of great parallelism between these two stories. You just have to read and dig. David saw all of this. David saw this whole like circle of sin. We're going to be in captivity. We're going to cry out to God. He's going to rescue us. We're going to go back into captivity because we forgot and abandoned him. We're going to cry out. He's going to rescue us. It's going to happen over and over and over. And so David says, we need a new heart. Our problem is we think if we have the right leader or the right laws or the right this, then it'll change. And David said, no, 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 it's, it's not about leaders. It's not about laws. It's about the heart. It's about the will. It's about stuff you can't see. It's about things that don't make sense. Last instead of first doesn't make sense in our culture. Does not make sense in our world. Makes absolutely no sense. This isn't how I coach. But I will also say, help them up if you knock them down. So all of a sudden, later on, you've got these... Um, prophets, and you have Ezekiel. Ezekiel, I don't know if I have, do I have Ezekiel up there? Can you, can you go next slide? Please, Ezekiel. So, oh, David wrote this. 
Can you go backwards? David said, Create in me a, a pure heart, O God. We sing this song. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit. Do not cast me from your presence or take your spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit. Something new, God, because what's going on here is not working. In Romans chapter 7, Paul says that there's a dichotomy. There's, there's this thing going on where it's not supposed to be, but it is. And so what he says is, there's a part of me that does the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I want to do. Ever been there? I know what I should do, I don't do it. Instead, the thing I don't want to do, I go do that. He says there's this war going on. And then in, in Ezekiel, he said it this way. I think I was Yeah. Okay, oh, okay, so Ezekiel's speaking on God's behalf. He says this, I will give you a new heart. That's going to be weird. I will give you a new and right desires and put a new spirit within you. I will take out your stony hearts and, and, of sin and give you new hearts of love. I will put my spirit within you so that you will obey my laws and do whatever I command. There's something new here. This is, we call this rebirth. We call this um, surrendering and give your life to Christ. We call, there's all kinds of terms for this, but this is what it means. Uh, Nicodemus asked Jesus, how can a man be reborn? You don't. You don't go back up in the canal and come back out. You can't do that. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. There's a spirit that moves. You can't see where it goes and where it comes from. But you see the effects of it. Billy Graham said the same way. Billy Graham said this, the, the, you know, the biggest cause of the atheism is Christians. But he said the, the, the law, the love of God is like the spirit. It's like the wind. You don't, you don't know where it comes from, but you see the effects of it. So when we see things, it's sad. I saw a picture this morning when I was scrolling online. I was, I was eating my, my toast and I was scrolling and I saw this picture of this man, it was raining, there was two kids riding bikes, one bike kind of uh, like broke down somehow, they were changing the tire or something, or fixing the chain, a man got out of his truck, he was helping the boys fix this tire, and it moved me. I was like, oh, but my question is, isn't that how it's supposed to be? Why does something that's supposed to be normal move us? When somebody's helping somebody change a flat tire, when, some, when my son helped a little old lady carry groceries to her car from Walmart, why does that move us so much? That's how it's supposed to be. It shouldn't move us, but it does because we live in a world where things aren't the way they're supposed to be. So when we see things that are in that divine realm, when we see things that are the way they're supposed to be, it moves us because we long for that. We have this eternity set in our hearts that we long for. Luke records a story where a man comes to Jesus and says, what do I need to do to be saved? Good question. And Jesus says, keep the commands. He's like, oh, I've done all those. Is it, is it possible to be a Christian and not have the heart? Is it possible to do all the God things and, and not be saved? Is it possible to go to church, read your Bible, and be far from God? God says yes. Over and over in the, in the Bible, he says things like, hey, close your doors. Stop lighting useless fires on your altar. Shut the doors. All you are doing is just going through the motions. Your hearts are far from them. Just stop. It's possible. Being a Christian isn't something you check on Facebook. It's not something that you just say, this is what I am. It's not a club on Sundays. It's nothing else. And so Peter has this really deep question. He says, man, if, 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 if Jesus says things like keep the commands and we can't keep the commands... And how do we get saved? And Jesus' response leads to more questions. Well, what's impossible with you, Peter, is possible with God. What does that mean? 
I mean, I would be a horrible follower of Christ at the time of Christ. I would be the weird disciple we read about. I would be the guy in the background going, huh? What? Or I'll be, I'll be the guy going, uh, I got a question. Before we leave, I got one question. You want him to walk on what? Water? Am I the one who thinks that's stupid? Like, I would be that guy. I would be the far guy. So, like, here, here's where I'm at in all of this. Okay, I wrote this down because I, I, I like this. The fall of man is seen throughout our world. For the Christian, the way we live our lives, in some way, is helping rebuild and be caretakers of the world, which is what Adam and Eve were supposed to do. We need a new heart. And we live in this circle of sin where there's nothing new under the sun. We can't live up to God's standard. Something has to be done for us in order for us to be right with God. The idea of it is there is nothing you and I can do. That is a very fragile place to be. There is nothing you and I can do to be saved. It sounds very anti-churchy. Sounds very off. But if you think about it, if there's anything that you and I can do to be saved, according to Paul, then the resurrection was pointless. The crucifixion and death was, was, was no reason at all. So there's nothing you and I can do to save ourselves. So we are completely dependent on Christ. Completely. Which is a very fragile place to be. Very fragile place to be. There's only a few times I like control. Does anybody here like to be in control? Good. I like to be in control. I don't like my classroom. That's not in control. Even my chaos is in control. But I don't like to not be in control. So when things happen in my life, as a husband and as a dad and as a man, I struggle because I want to be in control. So when doctors call and there's news, or when my son goes through something, or when my daughter is going through teenage drama and comes home crying, I want to fix it. And it stinks when I can't. It's one of those, like, you mean I, I am not all powerful? I can't fix this? It hurts. And so as a man, I'm learning to live with, there is this God who for some reason looks at mankind and says, there's something about you that I like. There's something about you that I love. And I'm willing to send my son to pay a price that every human deserves, but yet can't pay. And therefore, how we live our lives is a response to what Christ has done for us. We can say, thanks, I got it. Or it's one of those, I can never repay you. So I will live my life in response to that, showing gratitude, thanksgiving, kindness, love. What you did for me, I will do for others. You gave your life, I'll give my life. So there are times I'll be at Dollar General and I might have a few extra dollars and I will say to myself, this can either be spent with my kids at the football game or I'm going to buy myself a Coke and a bag of chips. There were times when my kids were born, it was either do I take this extra cash and I will go buy myself a video game or should I buy diapers? A real man shouldn't have to make that choice. But I, there were times I was like, hmm, <laughs> we'll just stop feeding them for a while. Then we won't have to have as many diapers. 
So the choice is ours. Today as we take communion, we'll take some time to pause, to think, to be grateful, be thankful. We'll sing some songs of just what's been done for us. Won't you join me in prayer? Father God, at this time we will slow down and we stop. God, just to say thanks. You've given your son. You've given your spirit. God, we need new hearts. We're our own mess. God, we give thanks that you've not given up on us. You haven't abandoned us. God, you are patient. You are grace. You are kindness. You are love. You are mercy. But God, you are true and you are just and you are right. God, so the punishment we deserve is given to your son. He's paid the price. God, help us to live our lives saying thank you for that. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.